We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. In the hands of waiters, three seconds left for three in the win. Yes! Welcome to another edition of the Rotowire NBA show on Dash Radio's NBA Network. As always, you can go to rotowire.com slash Dash for free 10 days of access to our site. I am Nick Whalen, Rotowire lead NBA editor, joined as always by Alex Barutha, our assistant NBA editor. Alex, we posted our staff picks for the NBA Finals to the site on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, good chance you're listening to this on Wednesday uh, in the hours leading up to Game 1 of the NBA Finals, I was a little bit surprised how much support we had for the Miami Heat. Uh, I went with Miami. I, I agonized over it uh, much more than I normally do with these picks. Um, I, I initially had Heat in six, then I switched it to Heat in, or to Lakers in seven, did an entire write-up on it, deleted it all, and went back to Heat in six. So what, for you, I, I know you went with the Lakers, uh, I think, in, in six games. Was, was the decision-making process that difficult for you as well? It, 
It was difficult, but I started from the place of, well, I think the Lake, I, I was pretty, my gut was that the Lakers would win the title. Um, and then I went through and tried to convince myself otherwise. And I just couldn't do it. Like, that's kind of what it came down to is I really tried to convince myself and like find a bunch of stuff like I, to make me think that he could win. And I just did not, I didn't see it. And like, I understand why people felt like the Heat would win the series, right? They have all the momentum in the world, all the confidence in the world. They already beat the Bucks, who were one of the title favorites. Um, but I just think the Lakers are just the, the, the top end talent that they have and the size that they have. I just think it's going to overwhelm the heat. And I, I don't think the heat will be able to do it. So I'm glad that was your answer because it sounds like we basically came at this from completely opposite approaches, or I guess the same approach, but we got to different conclusions because I was doing the same thing. I was, I kept trying to find a way to justify, you know, Lakers in six or Lakers in seven. And, you know, the more I thought about the rosters, the more I thought about the flow of these playoffs, um, just, you know, the mindset of these teams, you start looking at the stat comparisons, uh, which I included in that article uh, that I put up yesterday, uh, just kind of a general you know, gambling focused overview of the series. And everything is so close. You know, I mean, I, I think last series between Boston and Miami, that one felt like it could have gone either way. Uh, obviously, Miami was able to grab control early and, and finish it off in six. But, you know, you start to look at these teams. I mean, the offensive ratings are, are very close. The defensive ratings are really close. The pace is almost identical. You know, the three point percentage is like, point point two percent difference the true shooting is almost identical um it's just really hard to look at one area uh especially statistically and say okay this is where this team really has the advantage um but roster wise i just kept coming back to you know having watched all of these heat games throughout the playoffs i just feel like they're going to challenge the lakers to a degree that they have not been challenged yet and i think part of that is the Lakers didn't have to go through the Clippers. Uh, I'm not personally convinced that they would have beaten the Clippers. I, I think I would have picked the Clippers in that series. They had been my finals pick all season long. So who knows if they're even in that position had that happened. But I think going through, you know, the Portland, which turned out to be not nearly the challenge some people thought it would be, same with Houston, and to some degree, same with Denver. I, I just think some of the mistakes, some of the poor shooting, uh, some of the turnovers, especially that happened in that Denver series, the Lakers were still able to get by, still able to win a couple of close games, still able to close uh, and win that series in five. I, I just think they they need to take it up a notch to to beat the Heat because the Heat are going to exploit a lot of the things that the Lakers did wrong in the Western Conference Finals. Um, and I, I just don't know what, like, do, do the Lakers have another level to go up, I guess, um, to compensate for some of those miscues in the West Finals? That's a good question. I think... I mean, the, the Heat might have more players that you trust, right, on a game-to-game -game basis. Oh, like the, Heat, the Heat might have four guys, if you count Bam, Jimmy, Dragic, and if you want to go out the hero, I can understand that. Um, and that's at least offensively. And the, the Lakers might just be LeBron and AD. Um, and I like trust Danny Green to play defense. I can trust KCP to play defense. But if we're just talking who, can, who you trust to score on a game-to-game -game basis, right. I think... It's it's tough. I know the Lakers, they were sloppy at times. I just think they're going to create the I think the the Anthony Davis Bam Adebayo dynamic whether they guard each other. I think that's going to be a huge swinging point in the series because like if we're talking about LeBron versus Jimmy Butler, I'm just going to assume LeBron wins that head-to-head -head matchup. And 
Well, I don't know what they're what what the Heat are going to do because you put Bam Adebayo on Anthony Davis, then you end up with Jay Crowder on Dwight Howard, and I, Dwight is good enough to definitely <laughs> exploit that matchup. And then if you put Bam on Dwight, maybe you neutralize Dwight, but then you probably are just going to have to send doubles at Anthony Davis, which is right. feasible because maybe you just play it like that and you stop, you know, you stop whoever from cutting into the lane and you just make the Lakers try to beat you, you know, on the perimeter, which is what you're supposed to do. But um, I think that at least that portion of the matchup is really interesting. And I just think that confusion it makes me lean towards Anthony Davis and ultimately the Lakers. I think the way that this series is refereed will, will go a long way to determining how it goes. Um, and I think, yeah, has there been a single game yet in the playoffs where Anthony Davis has been in foul trouble? I don't think there has. Not not one where he's had to like be glued to the bench for you know most of a first half, like we saw many times with Nikola Jokic, including uh, a couple of times in that Western Conference final series. He's done a very good job of staying out of foul trouble. Bam, I trust a little bit less in that respect. Um, you know, if, I think maybe maybe that's one area you know where you look for the Lakers to potentially exploit is if they can get Bam in foul trouble early. Things things could swing in their direction big time. But if, if Bam is on the court for 40 minutes, I, I don't think him and Davis necessarily cancel out. I think Davis is a more accomplished player and a better player at this point. But he's going to be the best, probably singular defender that Anthony Davis has faced throughout these playoffs. And you know he's a guy who can easily switch out onto LeBron, especially this version of LeBron, who doesn't really have that you know ultra quick, ultra powerful first step that he used to. I mean, this this version of LeBron was struggling to get by Torrey Craig at times in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, so I, I think for Miami, Bam is is much more the key than guys like Drogic or Hero and Butler. Um, and I, I, like I said, I mean, what, what I kept coming back to, I guess, when, when making this pick is, do I trust guys like KCP, like Caruso, like Kyle Kuzma to not only hit open shots, but you know, manufacture a little bit more offense than they were asked to do at any point through the first three rounds because the Lakers were able to get away with with those guys really not doing a whole lot. You know, they, they got some nice games from Rondo, who really stepped up when LeBron was not on the floor uh, and kind of carried that offense. I, I don't know that you can really count on that in a final series against a team that's as good defensively as Miami is. And, you know, when, when I kind of close my eyes and picture how this series goes, you know, if, if Miami goes to that zone, for example, and LeBron plays a lot like he did in that Denver series where he's a little bit passive, you know, he's, he's not willing to take some of those higher degree of difficulty jump shots. Uh, and it's, you know, end of a shot clock type of possession and he's kicking it out to Kyle Kuzma for a semi-contested three. How, how often is he making that? You know, in my mind, that's like a two out of 10 type of shot, the way that he shot it in these playoffs. And I, I think the Heat's role players are going to need to kind of play above what they've shown they're capable of doing. And, and frankly, I don't trust them to do that. There will definitely be a lot of scheming in this series. Um, yeah, you want the Lakers. I mean, really, you don't. The Heat aren't, and especially, like, they have a couple of guys who are deadly from three, right? Like, Dragic can get hot. Hero can get hot. Duncan Robinson can get hot. But that's, like, not how they play. That's not who they are as a team. Um, they like getting to the basket. They shoot a lot of free throws. They, you know, can, they, they shoot a lot of floaters. Stuff like that. And so I think... I think what will end up happening is, and I hope, I also looked up, Anthony Davis has never committed more than four fouls in any playoff game in his career. Wow. So that answers your question. Um, but I, I hope the refs let this play physically because I think 
within the course of the series, inevitably as it goes on, both of these teams are just going to do what they can to stop each other at the rim. Because I think when it kind of comes down to it, I think these teams' identities are, we have to get to the basket. Now, the Lakers are the like best team in the league at getting to the basket and you know converting there. LeBron and AD, obviously, huge parts of that. Um, but the Heat, I mean, I'm sure that, like, like I said, the Heat will scheme it, but they haven't been like a great rim protection team necessarily all season. And they're not great at preventing transition either. And that's where the Lakers are also deadly. And that's how they get so many buckets at the rim is yep. they run in transition a ton. So, you know, if they can't stop the Lakers in transition, then they're, I mean, they're going to continue to have problems there. But like I said, like, I I don't know, like game game one of the series, right? The line is right now, it's, it's four and a half in favor of the Lakers. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the perfect number. Like I, it's you know, yeah. I could see it maybe being four, three and a half, but mm-hmm. I expect all these games to be close, and I think picking on either side of that would would make me feel uncomfortable on a game to game basis. Yeah, I, I have no problem with that line. I mean, I don't think anyone was surprised that the Lakers opened up as fairly heavy favorites. Um, you know, the the series line right now is is LA minus three seventy five. That's down a little bit. From where it opened at, Miami's at plus 280. I at the same time, like I, I don't get the sense that in general, you know, people who have been following the playoffs, media types, really view Miami as a massive underdog, right? I mean, I, I, this, these numbers are like similar to, you know, some of these earlier series. Like, you know, was Lakers Nuggets was I don't remember what that opened up at, but probably fairly similar, right? I mean, I think the Lakers were maybe a little bit bigger favorites over Denver than they are Miami, like. I don't know what more Miami can prove at this point. And I don't really think anybody could be overly shocked if Miami does pull this off. Like for as good as the Lakers have been and for as great as LeBron was, especially in game five against Denver, I think the fact that he played that game to close out the series really sent the Lakers in with with a lot more momentum than they had even two nights earlier uh, when, they, when they won game four. But it was, wasn't all that convincing. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't really feel like at any point, despite the Lakers winning all three of their first series in five games, like this, this has never really felt inevitable, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think they're on this like all time dominant run. At at least that's not how it feels to me. No, it it doesn't feel that way. I think the Lakers opened up like minus 600 against the Nuggets. Okay. That sounds right to me. Quite a bit bigger. Yeah. Um, This is per the action network. So the last time a favorite of minus 300 or greater, and then in the NBA finals lost, was the 04 Lakers against the Pistons, and they were a minus 700 favorite, but that's the only instance of a minus 300 favorite losing in the NBA Finals, and series favorites in the NBA Finals are 33 and 14 since 1968. Um, I didn't use any of those odds to, like, that didn't factor into my decision at all. That's just, like, a, I'm just sure. throwing that in. But, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that the Heat are, the Heat are definitely... I, I don't know if it's the right term to use, but like chalky underdogs, like people really think they can win. And I don't blame anyone for really thinking that he can win. Cause it wouldn't be, again, it wouldn't shock me, even though, even though they are pretty heavy underdogs, obviously, like it wouldn't shock me if they came out and won. Um, I think it's the way that they've done it. Like this, this complete team yes. effort where, where you're watching, like the Lakers have blown through the first three rounds on the backs of two guys who have played as well as you could expect. And it's, it's like, okay, so you can't really, you can't fault them for that. That's how they were built and they executed it and it's worked, but you're watching the heat do it. And you know, the Lakers are 
going into the finals still without a third guy. Like their 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 guy that they hoped would be the third guy, Kyle Kuzma, his stock is probably lower now than it was going into the playoffs. And yeah. meanwhile, on the other side, you know, you have Goran Dragic, who had, in my opinion has been overall Miami's MVP in the playoffs. I think Bam was certainly the MVP in this last series against Boston, but I think in the first few rounds, Dragic was that guy. Not only are are all three of those guys counting Butler playing really well, but then you get 37, you know, an all-time rookie type of performance. And this was not a Booby Gibson, you know, one random guy, you know, basically a G leaguer gets hot and it's a, you know, Cinderella type of story. Like that was a legit 37. That was a, you know, big time shots, not just some guy who's getting left open from three type of game. So like Miami continues to like get even deeper and stronger as the playoffs go on. And, you know, you can't take anything away from the Lakers, but the, you know, to me, I'd be a little more confident if, Kuzma had like three 20 point games over the last two rounds. And I don't, I don't even know if he has a 20 point game throughout the entire series. So it, it's just, it's a lot on the shoulders of, of LeBron and Davis. It's, it's not that they, they can't do it. I mean, I, I think they can certainly continue it. I just wonder like if those guys are giving you 60 points and 20 rebounds and 15 assists a night, like I, even if they play at their best, I just wonder if it's going to be enough because I, I'm so, so low on these Lakers role players. I, I just, I just don't think, I think they've, they've really been able to get away with playing pretty poor basketball through the first three rounds. And I just, I just think the heat are too good to allow for that. Yeah. Kuzma's uh, playoff high 18 points, um, but he didn't score more than 11 points in any game in the Western conference finals. Ton of turnovers. Uh, and- you know, that's the thing. Like if Kuzma and Rondo are combining for like nine turnovers in a game, the, the, the heat are going to win that game. You know, they could get away with that against Houston or Denver and, and still have it be a Lakers win. Like that's those type of games are just gone now. Yeah, I think I mean, one of the things that I I think is really strong about the Heat and something you can't say about a lot of teams, in the NBA is they can they could lose. They could be the least efficient. The, they could be less efficient on offense in terms of field goal percentage or effective field goal percentage or even true, true shooting percentage than the Lakers and still win games like that. Yeah. Like the Laker, the the Heat can win every other aspect of the game. They do not have to be the more efficient offensive team, and they've won plenty of games and they've won series. I, I think they were. I think Boston might have had technically been more efficient from the floor than uh, the Heat in a lot of those games. And so, yeah, I mean, they just they always keep games close, and that's the thing. Right. If you're in the NBA Finals and you're always keeping games within four or five points, like if they're always keeping games within the spread you know, down late, <clears throat> anything can happen with, a, you know, a five-point game with five minutes left. Those are basically right. toss-ups, exactly. right? That just comes down to clutch shot-making. That comes down, I mean, that's all small sample stuff. So, you know, they can keep the games close, and from there, I mean, it's just, you know, yeah. they can they can get lucky and they can easily win. I still trust the Lakers in late-game scenarios. I, I don't know how you could possibly say you would take anybody over LeBron in those situations at this point in his career, but I, I don't, like you said, that I, I, they don't it, the opposite isn't true as far as the Lakers like if the Lakers get down you know I guess they showed they can climb back you know in that one game uh, against Denver where they had that that late fourth quarter run but a lot of that was just sloppiness by Denver you know it was the Lakers defense that really got them back into the game like the Lakers can't shoot their way into a game and they cannot go shot for shot with Miami and I, I do think you know this was something you touched on at the top like Miami is a better shooting team but the numbers are in in the playoffs are actually pretty close like they're they're at 35.7% three-point shooting team in the playoffs and the Lakers are 35.5. So like percentage wise, it's almost identical, but the heat take more. 
And I, I think the bigger thing is, you know, like I talked about on this show last week, that that Stan Van Gundy quote, you know, that the Lakers don't have a single guy who you cannot leave open from three. I mean, the Heat have at least two of those guys in in Hero and and maybe the number one guy in the league in that category in Duncan Robinson. And when you have those guys, you can, as they did against Boston in game six, you can you can erase a nine-point lead over the course of three possessions if, if those guys get hot. And, you know, I, the Lakers, I guess, don't, to me, have that same ability. And, and what it means is, you know, Miami can, like you said, they can have a game or a quarter or a half where things don't, don't go well and they could be down 11 points, but they can shoot their way right back into it and still make it a game. Whereas I feel like the Lakers have to put together much more consistent efforts to make sure that they don't fall behind because I don't, I don't know that they necessarily have that same ability to, you know, you're, you're not going to trust Caruso and Kuzma to shoot you back into a game the way that Robinson and Hero and, and even Crowder at times in this playoffs have been able to do. Right. The Heat are sixth in the playoffs in terms of effective field goal percentage. So there are five teams that have shot more efficient than them. And so what they end up doing is they have the highest, I think they've made the most free throws in the playoffs or maybe second most behind like per game um compared behind only like philly but we obviously know they got swept yeah well they're, they're um, second they're second behind philly in free throws per field goal attempt right and then they're also uh you know they are fourth in the playoffs excuse me third in the playoffs um with like defensive effective field goal percentage so the heat they beat you through making free throws and preventing you from taking good shots um I don't know, man. I mean, it's just it's just going to be an incredibly close series. I'm, I'm sure the Heat will win at least... I mean, they're going to win at least one game because they catch fire from three, right? I mean, like, they, they're they guaranteed to win one that way and maybe two that way. And then if they can grind out, you know, all they have to do from there is grind out two more. And that's yeah. that. Right. It's hard for me to see them ever really getting blown out in any of these games. You know, there, there was that game one blowout against Denver for the Lakers. Um, and a lot of that was free throw field, but they, they were just parading to the line that entire game. And, and that ended up reversing kind of in the middle games of the series. But, um, you know, with Miami, it's like it, the Lakers have had a, a few of their losses in the playoffs have been games where LeBron is willing to take a, a backseat. You know, he's he's doing more facilitating. He's only taking 12 or 13 shots. He's not getting to the line. And given the personnel, the Lakers offense just really struggles in those games. And, you know, the defense is so good that, that they can, uh, you know, stay with lesser teams. But again, against Miami, I don't think you can get away with that. And with the Heat, you know, you know, Jimmy Butler can have a game where he scores 12 points on 10 shots. And it might not matter because you might you might get 28 off the bench from Hero or you might get 26 from Dragic. Like the fact that they have four guys who could legitimately give you 30 points on any night. Um, that would scare me a lot if I'm the Lakers. I, I, you know, defensively, I think the Lakers actually match up with them. Okay. You know, they, they have some pretty decent defensive minded guards in green and KCP and Caruso, who you can throw at Dragic, you can throw at hero. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be super concerned about that. Um, but at the same time, you know, again, I just, I really think that even though the Lakers have the two best guys, and the gap between those two and Butler and Adebayo is is fairly big just because of how good LeBron and, and Davis are. But, man, the, the gap between three through eight is, I think, even larger, if that makes sense. I think so. Yeah, it's a it's a huge gap. And um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, slowing down, slowing down the backcourt of Miami is going to be really important because, mm-hmm. you know, like you mentioned, Jimmy Butler can he like. He does a lot of things really well. He always makes winning plays, but he cannot always be trusted to score 20 points. Right. And so if you can prevent those other backcourt guards 
from getting theirs. You're putting a lot more pressure on Jimmy Butler to have a great offensive performance, which he he ebbs and flows. And then if you can, you know, limit Bam out of bio or, or just, you know, limit him to his season averages, then that's what's going to make Miami, I think, have a really tough time. Right. With, with those four, it's like with Miami, I think you need you, against the Lakers, you probably need two of those guys to have a great game, one to have a good game. And then, you know, one maybe cannot play well and you're still going to be in it. Whereas the Lakers need great game from Davis, great game from LeBron to be in it. You know, that there's a little bit more wiggle room, I think, with Miami. Um, and, and frankly, I, I trust their role players uh, quite a bit more. Even the ones who you would say are, are kind of apples to apples, you know, like Crowder versus KCP. To me, like, I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Jay Crowder is so much better than Contavious Caldwell Pope. Like, that's just <laughs> right. not a fact. But I also trust Jay Crowder to, you know, because he's shown it. J- KCP doesn't have any games where he's hit six threes in these playoffs. Like, Crowder's done it multiple times. And I, I know he fell into a slump at the end of that Boston series, but, you know, you, you would think that'll come back around. Uh, I, I looked into corner three-point shooting specifically today. Uh, the Lakers are number one in the playoffs in terms of the percentage of three-pointers that come from the corner. So 36% of their attempts come from the corner. Miami only allows 23% of threes to come from the corner uh, in these playoffs. So I think that'll be a battle. You know, the Lakers don't like taking bad looks from three. That That's you know, for a team that's not a great shooting team, they at least don't take a lot of bad looks. You know, a lot of them are from the corner. A lot of them are kickouts. Um, so how Miami is able to, you know, kind of attempt to, to run them out of the corner, I think will be really important because my, the Lakers are 41% on threes from the corner in the playoffs. That's one of the best marks in the entire league. So for a team that's not a great three-point shooting team, they are at least hitting the ones that they should knock down. And Miami's 31% uh, from, from the corner in the playoffs. That should improve. They were a 38% corner sh- three-point shooting team during the regular season. They've been basically the worst corner three-point shooting team in the playoffs. Um, so part of that, you know, is the Lakers defense is obviously going to continue to try to take that away and put pressure uh, on Miami. But if I'm the Lakers, that's a stat that would scare me a little bit just because you have to imagine, you know, that's a, seven percentage points is a pretty big gap in terms of the overall season figure versus the playoff figure. Like, you would think at some point that that trend is going to reverse and, and Miami would start hitting what is usually going to be their best looks from three. You would think so. I think I think it'll just be tough for Miami to limit the Lakers threes because the the way the Lakers play and driving to the basket so aggressively and going around the rim, like you kind of have to sell out if you want to stop them from getting yeah. layups. And that usually comes from that comes from help. And that's dragging guys off of the corner three. When LeBron drives and you send help, he just passes the corner. Like, that's what he does. Right. You know, unless Dwight's sitting down there for a lob and someone falls asleep. So I, I don't think Miami will... I I don't know if they'll be able, be able to limit the Lakers threes. But, um, yeah, it's a little concerning that Miami could get hot from the corner. I just don't think they're going to get the kind of open looks that the Lakers constantly get because of the way they, yeah. they run their offense. Yeah, that's fair. And... You know, for as much as I keep saying I don't trust the Lakers role players, like they've been great defensively. And there, there have been some some questionable uh, decisions and some questionable foul calls, frankly, in the, in the Denver series. I, I thought that one was called on both sides a little bit tighter than it need to be. But, you know, even if Danny Green and KCP and Kuzma and, and Caruso aren't hitting shots, they are at least being up. And I, I think that's right. pretty transferable series to series. The Rotowire NBA show is brought to you by Prediction Strike. It's a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard your friends say, I've had stock in that player since day one? Well, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes his rookie year, 
you knew this would happen? Now, that's a complete reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. This is basically exactly how I felt about OJ Mayo from day one. Still only 32, by the way. Tore it up in China last season. Just something to keep an eye on. Maybe an opportunity to buy low on OJ Mayo on Prediction Strike. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com and create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players, just like you would with your real stock account. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time, as long as the player is not currently playing in a game. You can get started with Prediction Strike today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with our code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 off your first deposit of at least $20. That's code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, for an additional 10 bucks with your first deposit of at least $20. How much do you think we see Dwight Howard in this one? You know, we, we barely saw him in round one against Portland. He, you know, came on a little bit later uh, in the Houston series after picking up a couple DNPs. At that point, it, it seemed pretty unlikely that he would end up being like arguably their third best player in the Western Conference finals. But I, I think he was so good energy wise, you know, that the numbers were nothing remarkable. It, it, he gathered up a, a decent amount of rebounds and, and had some putbacks. But, you know, it's not like this was vintage Dwight Howard, like drop stepping and dunking on everybody. A lot of it was just kind of being an energy guy basically being, you know, the new version of Kenneth Fareed. Um, <laughs> can, can he continue to do that? Do they trust him to do that? Like, if, I, if I'm Frank Vogel, I don't know that I would even bother you know, running running JaVale McGee out there for his token six minutes to begin the game in this series. Uh, I'm sure he will get out there for his token six minutes, but then I, I think he'll have, I think he might get yanked pretty quickly. Um, I think I think the how, how much Dwight plays kind of goes hand in hand with how much the heat are willing to sell out to prevent shots at the rim. Like if they, if they are just, I mean, if they play like a box in one or something and they just really, really focus on not letting guys get to the rim, then maybe the Lakers try to go smaller. They try to go AD at center. They try to space the floor out a little bit, but at the same time, the heat, we know the heat love zone and the weakness of almost every single zone is rebounding. And if you're going to throw one guy in there to clean up the offensive glass, it's Dwight Howard, right? So I think, I really think they'll keep him in there. Um, and I think, I think he just, I, like I mentioned earlier, I think he complicates the Bam out of bio question, like who guards him um, yeah. or and vice versa. So I think, I think that, I think that confusion plays towards the advantage. The Lakers have the advantage. I think when they go big is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think if anything, too, you, you maybe want to force Miami to go to Myers Leonard or go to Kelly Olynyk, who they, they've kind of abandoned. I mean, Leonard has basically not been in the rotation at all in the postseason. And, and Olynyk, it's been, you know, he'll play 20, 12 minutes one game and then not play the next three. I think if you can get those guys, you know, coming in cold, basically, um, if, if you're the Lakers, that would be great. You know, both of those guys can shoot the ball, but I think you want to make them shoot it. You're not you're not super scared of giving up, you know, potentially open looks if Dwight's guarding them on the perimeter. Um, and I, I think, too, we haven't really seen the Lakers, at least in the playoffs. I think they did this very successfully at times in the regular season. But it, it kind of seems like they've been the team that's more willing to adjust to what the opponent is doing you know Houston go small are like all right we'll go small and granted they beat Houston at their own game but I, I think I would like to see the Lakers 
kind of try to be the aggressor in that respect and say, yeah, we're going to play Dwight and Davis together for this eight minute stretch. Like you, you guys need to figure out how to match it. Not, not we're going to react to what you're doing. Yeah. A hundred percent. I just think like it's, it's the Lakers. It's just talent and size for them. That's how they win games. Um, and I think it would be crazy to just like go against that to like start the series. So when you're right up on the site, for for our picks article you you compared this to uh, the 2011 finals in in terms of the matchup and i I don't think that's off at all Uh, i I think there are certainly some parallels to uh, the type of team that miami is uh you know i I think dirk as an individual player was was definitely better than than maybe butler or Adebayo, the individual player especially at that point you know what he could do offensively but the team around him was so much deeper especially that that 2010-11 heat team you know, you had that was probably the best Wade year, uh, but you know I think Bosch started playing better and better as that team uh, grew older. Same with LeBron, um, but that that supporting cast that first year was really really bad. You know, easily the Heat's worst of that four year run. Um, and I you know I think a lot of people just kind of look past that because of how top heavy um, you know the big three was, and I, I think it compares fairly favorably to how this Lakers roster is constructed. I mean, if, if you look at total minutes played beyond James Wade and Bosch that year, it was Mario Chalmers, James Jones, Joel Anthony, Zadrunas Ogauskas, Carlos Arroyo, and Eddie House. That was that was their <laughs> top nine during the regular season. Um, and it gets even worse. You know, I, I can keep going. Jerry Stackhouse was on that team briefly. Mike Bibby, uh, I believe, started the finals that year. Um that that's kind of what it reminds me of uh, as far as the Lakers is. Is that where you were going with that comparison? It is where I was going. And I think that now that you bring up that supporting cast, I think we'll look on this supporting cast more favorably than that one for LeBron. But at the same time that the the 2011 supporting cast also had Chris Bosh as a third guy. Exactly. And this Lakers team has nobody as their third guy. And I still think it's Rondo, but that I think it is not a great, I think it is Rondo by default at this point. I think you're right. And they were supposed to, I mean, it's so long ago now, it's even absurd to think about. This team was supposed to have DeMarcus Cousins on it. Like, DeMarcus right. Cousins was supposed to be their fourth or fifth guy, and then, you know. I know, I know we're, like, hours away from game one, but I'm still holding out a little bit of hope that, we're, like, Shams is going to tweet, DeMarcus Cousins <laughs> has cleared has cleared quarantine. He will be active. <laughs> I would, oh, my God, that would change, that would, yeah. that would change the world. Right. Well, I mean, those Heat teams back then, you know, like, as as they played on, you know, they all of a sudden they add Ray Allen, then they add Shane Battier, you know, guys who yeah. were absolutely huge for them as as the run went on. And, and the Lakers will probably do the same, you know, as their cap situation uh, settles. But it's tough, you know, when you when you basically gut your roster to add two guys like LeBron and Bosh, you you have to pay the consequences. And the Lakers, you know, this time. It wasn't free agency, but you know the trade is kind of the same thing, where you you have so many pieces coming in and out, it's it's hard to build a a sustainable roster. In my write up, I actually compared it to the 2014 finals, and I, I we'll see if that, this is how it plays out. But if the Heat win, I I do think that's the path that this series takes, where uh, San Antonio won Game One that year, and Miami won Game Two. Uh, it was a hard fought win in, in Game Two for Miami, and then or for uh for Miami at the time yeah and then you know San Antonio won the next three easily and it was just kind of a barrage of passing and three-point shooting and team basketball you know that was the year that Kawhi Leonard won finals MVP you know well before he was a household name um it was just kind of a a triumphant win for team basketball over 
you know, a, a top heavy roster where three guys are trying to do everything. And I, I don't know if that's how it's going to play out again. That was a historically hot entire series for guys like Danny Green, um, yeah. who have never, never even gotten close to those heights again. You know, there, there was some stuff going on. That was the air conditioner series uh, in San Antonio <laughs> with LeBron cramping up. Like things were going on. Dwayne Wade was not himself at that point. But uh, my point is, like, I, I, there's part of me that could see this playing out that way, where it's close early on, and then it, it becomes clear at some point that, you know, the, the, the team that's deeper and has more options um, is just kind of really able to exploit the, the top heaviness of the other opponent. Yeah, I mean, you can easily see a scenario where the Lakers, by the end of it, are playing like six guys, right? <laughs> like, right. Like, no, exactly. It's it, like Kuzma goes like one for 12 in game three, and he's just done for the series. Yep. Yeah, and then it's, everyone's playing, you know, 45 minutes or whatever. And mean, and then, you know, by if it goes to a game seven, then, you know, we've still got like fresher peak guys. And yep. I, I don't know. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a... If it goes to game seven, I'm picking the Lakers. I don't, I do not think I mean, LeBron fair. is capable of allowing that team to lose a game seven. And and I put this in my write-up. I just, I don't know if it gets there. I, I don't, the Heat have to win it in six. They cannot let it go to seven. Yeah, that would be a problem. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, when LeBron's in situations like that, like I, I think about that game, the game one against the Warriors, mm-hmm. where he had like, you know, it's maybe the best, the JR game. Yeah. Uh where LeBron has maybe the best game of his career. Like, I don't know if he's still capable of that game, like, at this age. But he has Anthony Davis on this team. And I don't know. Like, I think I, I think if his back was against the wall like that, that he could come out and, and have another one of those games where he's so locked yeah. in that it's one of the best performances that we ever see. And, like, I'm not slighting Jimmy Butler and saying he can't do that, but, like, the odds of him doing that. Uh, he's not going to take over like that, I don't think. That was a 51-8-8 for LeBron. I, I think it's possible. I don't know. I you know part of me part of me wonders if you know game one's going to happen and we see something like that. You know I, I don't think he goes for 51, but if he plays well, like he did in game five against Denver for five straight games, you know I, I think the Lakers win the series in five. It's just a question of how consistently can he play like that. And I part I don't even know if it's an age question because. You know, we, we've seen even when he was at his physical prime, you know, 2015, 2016, um, you know, even 2016 finals, they're down 3-1. And then, you know, that's when we really started to see, you know, back-to-back 40-point games, the triple-double in game seven. Um, it, you know, I, it's obviously very hard for us in our position to sit here and question, like, how that happens. Um, but it, it does kind of seem like there, there needs to be some extra motivation or some sort of backs-against-the-wall scenario for him to truly get to that level. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think he, I don't, I'm not banking him dropping 50, but he and Anthony Davis can combine for 75, right? And that could happen more than once in a series. Do you think LeBron uh, has a 40 point game in the finals? I don't think he, he hasn't gotten 40 at all in the playoffs yet. I don't believe. I think, I think he ha- I think he will. I think, I, I mean, I want him to. Um, I think he can do it. I think he can do it. I think he can put up 40. Because the I think at some point like the Heat the Heat are just going to try so much different stuff I think so, eventually they're going to hit on something that mm-hmm. you know maybe they try to do the thing where they force LeBron to do everything right um, right we've seen teams try that before famously with Stan Van Gundy and the Magic yeah I typically a, typically a good recipe if you're the opponent <laughs> I just I don't know I don't know I think I think at some point he can get a forty. 
40-point game. All right, so let's look at game one specifically. Uh, as you mentioned at the top, uh, the Heat come in as four-and-a-half-point underdogs. Uh, yeah, this this line, is, I, I think it opened at five-and-a-half. Uh, you said you saw it as low as two-and-a-half at, at certain places. So, you know, the money is coming in on Miami. Uh, the series lines have kind of gradually trickled, uh, you know, I, I guess towards – they're still going to be heavily in favor of the Lakers, but, you know, the the, the confidence seems to be coming – uh, more from the Heat side in this one, and I think that's rightfully so. But how exactly do you see Game One playing out? You know, with your Lakers in six prediction, um, do you think they get Game One, or do you do you think they follow what's been somewhat of a concerning trend for LeBron over the years of uh, kind of feeling out these series in Game One, regardless of the stakes? I think I saw a stat where LeBron is two and seven against the spread in Game Ones of NBA Finals. Uh, so, I mean, again, that's that I mean that's that's exactly the point you're making. Not that I would use that to like bet against LeBron necessarily, but I'm I would take I would take Heat plus four and a half here, but that's kind of more just like a a bet where I think fundamentally that's like the right number, and so I'll take the points. And I think the Heat the Heat are obviously good at keeping games close, so I like I have no I always I have like no feel about how this game is going to play out, but I. I would imagine this. Both teams are going to, I think, probably feel each other out, right? Yeah, I, I think uh, so. Yeah, so I could, I could see this being kind of a strange game one. Maybe the Heat take it, um, but you know, because you don't want to, you don't want to give away everything in your playbook too early, right? Like the Heat aren't going to come out and be like, "All right, possession one, box and one." Like, so I think, I think both teams will make some concessions early on, mm. but I just, I really have. I mean, my my pick would be you know Heat plus four and a half in the under, and the under is because I just generally lean on unders in the playoffs. And yeah. again, I think both these teams live in the paint as their identity. But. Right. Yeah, I like the under as well. I uh, you know I think we think of the Lakers as this fast break team, and and certainly they are capable of that. But they're a very slow paced team when they're not on a fast break. If that makes sense, like they they tend yeah. to. They tend to bring the shot clock down. There's a lot of holding the ball. There's a lot of isolation. There's a lot of taking 10 seconds to get into said isolation. Uh, there's not. They're not one of those teams where it's just one pass and then launching a quick three. You know, it's not like the Rockets. Um, so if if Miami is able to contain the fast break and not not turning the ball over, I, I think this this is a series and and certainly a game one that ends up being played at a pretty slow pace. Uh, you know, Miami's was the team that was a little bit slower uh, so far in the playoffs. And, you know, they had that, I think it was game two or game three against Boston that was played at like 90 possessions per 48. Uh, I think both teams are kind of comfortable in that environment. I, I don't think there's going to be, you know, the, the Lakers want to run, but I, I, I don't think they feel like they absolutely have to to win games, you know, especially if they're going to go a little bit bigger, you know, with these Dwight plus Anthony Davis or Davis plus McGee type of lineups. I, I think they're they're comfortable if Miami does want to slow things down. Uh, so I definitely like the under in game one. And I'm with you. I I think Miami wins Game One outright. I I have come to to not really trust LeBron teams in Game One, and and oftentimes it ends up being for the better long term. You know, maybe whatever whatever knowledge LeBron and the coaching staff are able to glean from these feel out games uh, typically ends up working out for them in the long term. But I, I think this is a series where if, if you're Miami, you know, you feel like every you're playing your absolute best uh, in the entire season, you know, not just in the playoffs. Like this, this is, they're peaking at the right time. Everybody's kind of coming together. Drogic seems to have broken out of his mini funk uh, from that Celtic series. You know, I, I think hero stock is as high as ever. I think they just want to hit the ground. They just want to play this game 
and pick up where they left off in the Boston series. And that's not to suggest that the Lakers don't have that same urgency, but you know, I, I think I think the Heat are like chomping at the bit to prove that they should be the, the team that's favored, or you know, at the very least, this should be a toss-up series. Whereas I, I don't necessarily, I, I I never really trust the Lakers to come out like and just you know be a just complete ball of fire right away and all of a sudden you look and they're up 22 to 10 at the first time out you know they they don't really seem to have a lot of that in them no i i would be i would be more like more confident in picking the heat to win like the first quarter or like the first half than the game or something like that because you're right i think they will just come out absolutely like you know not like on fire from like a making shots perspective at the very least but just like like you mentioned, like right out of the gate, just ready to go because they know they have to get every single thing that the Lakers give them to win this game. Um, right. Yeah. Are there are there any? Uh, have you had a chance to look at any props yet? I've not had a chance to look at any single game props. I think I saw most of LeBron's, which I think were like twenty eight, eight and yeah. a half, like twenty eight and a half, eight and a half, eight and a half in terms of like his over unders on his stats. I mean, we you touched on you know there's. Uh, you posted an article to the site that was uh, you can at the time you could have gotten LeBron. Was it minus 125 to win finals MVP? So, yeah, so I was I was writing that as kind of just a primer for, you know, if you're looking to to bet on the finals, you know, what what they're offering over at the DraftKings Sportsbook and the, the odds like the prop odds, especially were shifting, like, honestly, minute by minute at some points. And at, at, at one point, I just had to, like, take a screenshot and yeah. Those because they were they were updating so quickly that I couldn't even carry them over to our site. Um, but yeah, so I'll I'll try to pull that up right now. At the time that I published this, which was like three o'clock Central Time on Monday, uh, LeBron was minus 125 to win Finals MVP. Uh, right now on the DraftKings Sportsbook, he's minus 155. So while things kind of seem to be swinging back toward Miami, the Finals MVP, uh, you know, LeBron's gained a little bit of steam there, I guess. Um, but you know, for the most part, like some of the numbers are going to change, but like the order in which these guys, uh, are placed, you know, chronologically by the odds has not really changed. So, I mean, as expected, it's, it's LeBron and Davis by a huge margin and, you know, Davis is at plus 250 and then you got, you got to go all the way down to plus 900 to get to Bam and, and Butler. Um, and, and part of that is that the Lakers are favored. So obviously there's a better chance that one of those guys is going to win the, the finals MVP award. Um, but the other part of that is, I mean, Miami, as, as we've been talking about with these roster constructions, you know, the Lakers have number one, LeBron, number two, Davis. Uh, when you look at the finals MVP odds, the Heat have the next four guys, Adebayo, Butler, Drogic, and Hero. Conceivably, all four, any of those four could win this, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, I so. think so. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Tyler Hero winning it would be more surprising than Andre Iguodala winning it over... Curry, Draymond, and Clay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, I don't remember that seeming like that insane at the time. It was surprising, but it wasn't like crazy, right? Yeah. I think what was crazier is that Steph didn't get a vote. You know, it was like Andre or the guy who lost the series. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to read through these quick. How do you feel about Bam Adebayo's rebounding prop, which is 10 and a half, because... People are smashing the under because it's at minus 139, or at least maybe they suck it up that way. I mean, I think that makes sense kind of fundamentally as like the size of the Lakers, you know, might yeah. stop out of bio from crashing the boards as hard. Um, I, th- I think there there's a- that. And I, I think there's if you're assuming that out of bio is one, either spending a lot of time in a zone or two, 
he's spending a lot of time on Anthony Davis. You know, that means that he's going to be displaced from the rim. You know, you're, you're chasing Davis out to three or you're, you're contesting 18 footers, whereas you're not doing a lot of that against Daniel Tice. <laughs> right. Uh, you can also get Duncan Robinson to score more points than Kyle Kuzma at 117, yes, which I don't I mind at that. all. <laughs> that's just to me, that's just so easy where like, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's not a lock by any means. Like Duncan Robinson had three points in game yeah. four against Boston. But, uh, you know, game two, 18, game three, 13, game five, 20, game six, 15. Like th- those one of those games, the 20 pointer in game five is more points than Kuzma's had at any point in the playoffs, as we said earlier. So I think there's more upside with with Robinson and the way that he plays. You know, he had five threes in game six. That's 15 points just off of basically wide open threes that he's going to be hunting the entire game. And, you know, they've been throwing him out there in some of these games for 30 plus minutes. So. With Kuzma, it's like he, he can get to 15 or 20 points, but he really has to work for it. It's, it's probably going to involve free throws. It's going to involve him hitting some extreme high degree of difficulty fadeaways, um, you know, possibly banking shots in, as we've seen from him. Whereas Duncan Robinson is just kind of their version of Kyle Korver. So it's, it's just so easy for him to stack up those points, especially if, if the Lakers are leaving him open. I agree. And he's, uh, he's really the guy for me that shifts this entire series. Like I, if Duncan Robinson was on the Lakers roster, even if you could clone him and keep keep him on the Heat roster and just add him to the Lakers, I think that would be enough for me to to really feel good about the Lakers. But they the the lack of a guy like him, especially if you're going to be going up against the zone, I, I think is really concerning. Yeah. Yeah, the Lakers would kill to have any anybody on the Heat. Like like you know, like Robinson or even like Jay Crowder. Mm-hmm. So we have a whole lot more on our agenda and we'll, we'll do another episode later this week. So make sure to keep an eye out for that in our Rotowire NBA podcast feed. You can find that uh, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Uh, but with about 10 minutes left here, let's, let's kind of try to look ahead. We'll, we'll skip past the final series itself. You know, I, I think it's going to be an awesome series, uh, but these questions kind of apply to uh, both teams, regardless of what happens in the series. I think overall next season is going to be the most wide open uh, in at least in recent memory. I I have written here in my notes in NBA history. I I can't speak for like how wide open the 1976 season was. I don't really know, but as as long as I've been covering the league and paying attention to the league, like not only are there, is there just a ton of talent overall? And, you know, it's it's really hard to like point at certain teams and be like, this team is going to be terrible next year. Like, especially in the West. Other than OKC, which I think is trying to be bad, I don't I don't know that there's going to be like any teams that stand out as just, you know, that's a 22 win team. But outside of that, like especially based on what we've seen in the bubble, I mean, are are there like 10, 10, 12 teams next year who you could reasonably say might compete for a title, especially when you consider like what we thought of Miami uh, at the beginning of last season? I, I think they were 75 to one to win the title at that time. I think so, because obviously you have the Bucks at the top. The Raptors, I think you can still kind of throw them in there. I mean, they might have to change their team context a little bit because we don't know what's going to happen with Gasol and Fred Van Vliet's free agency and everything like that. But obviously Boston's in it. Um, obviously Miami's in it. <laughs> obviously Philly is in it. Brooklyn is in it. And that's just in the East. And that doesn't even count Indiana, who they recently had some stuff come out about Oladipo and Turner maybe not wanting to play there anymore. So you can right. kind of put that in reserve, but then basically everyone from the West, you know, right. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, I, I think there are there are nine teams for sure. Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Miami, Philly, Brooklyn, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, who for sure I, I think will be at least in the conversation. I think you could throw the Warriors in there as well. Uh, you know, they'll, yep. they'll have some question marks, but uh, with with the guys they have coming back, I mean, Houston is always in the conversation. Houston had much better odds in Miami going into last year to win the title. Uh, you know, Utah, I, I think it wouldn't have been that crazy if Utah went on the run that Denver did. You know, they very nearly beat Denver. I think a lot of people expect Dallas to take a major step forward. You know, we'll see what with Portland. It kind of seemed like Dame um, had ascended to a new level. And even if we're not, even if you want to say some of those teams aren't true title contenders, every single one of those teams could at least finish top three in its conference. And that's without even mentioning, you know, Dallas, Phoenix, um, you know, Sacramento could be better. Uh, you know, Minnesota, New Orleans, both of those teams should be quite a bit better. Like, I, I think the league is going to be just unbelievably competitive next year. And, you know, talking about the Lakers and the heat, since that is our finals matchup specifically, you know, like how, how, do, how, I guess, do you see either one of these teams uh, improving next year? Or, you know, if like the Lakers specifically will have a tough time kind of doing that, their improvements would have to be on the margins. Do both of these teams, regardless of how this series plays out, do both of these teams open up next year as the two title, the prohibitive, I should say, title favorites in each conference? So I'm not as sure about the heat. Like, I think there's maybe still a world where they win the finals in seven games and the Bucks still are like the favorite next season. Um, not that that would be like right or wrong. I think that's a possibility, especially if it's a game seven. Like if they, it, listen, if the heat go like five, if they, if they beat the Lakers in five games, then like, I can't imagine a world where, right. They are not the title favorite. Cause that would just be insane. Um, and I think the Lakers could lose the, the, the title in seven and still be title favorites for next year. So, I mean, I think, I think both of these teams should be top three, maybe no matter what happens in this finals, but, um, I don't know what they like do necessarily to improve either. Like you mentioned, the Lakers are insanely capped out, still playing, paying Luol Dang mm -hmm. and the heat. I mean, they're kind of, the team is just kind of like locked in. Right. Right. Like. They, they have their guys that they know they like. And so maybe they do some work around the margins. Like maybe they maybe they try to improve or change up like the, the Derek Jones, Myers, Leonard kind of a thing. And like Kendrick Nunn has just not played. I mean, they're going to keep him, I assume. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're basically paying Kendrick Nunn nothing at this point. Right. They have eight guys that they like. I mean, nine, if you count Iguodala, that they like unquestionably trust. Right. So, like, when you have that, it's hard, like, if you get this far and be like, uh, we have nine guys that we like, but we're still going to try to change stuff. Right. So I think I think both of these teams will come back almost identical, honestly, next season. Yeah, and I, I think that makes the evaluation process uh, a little bit more fun, right? Where you're like, when you're starting to say, like, who opens up as the favorite next year, it's like, the Heat are just going to run this thing back. Um, you know, I, I think Drogic is the one guy who he's unrestricted this summer. You do have to figure that out. You know, you're paying a lot of money to Iguodala next year. He's still locked in at 15 mil. Kelly Olynyk has a 14 million dollar player option that he probably picks up. Uh, but you know, Drogic, Crowder, those are the two guys that could maybe be gone. But you know, you still have another year before um, you have to you have to worry about the Bam extension, and that wouldn't even kick in for another year after that. Obviously, you have Harrow on a rookie deal. Like that, that's the huge advantage of getting these performances out of guys like Hero and Bam that are on rookie contracts. Um, yep. you know, it's just, 
you're still able to load up. And, you know, I, I think, I think they would almost prefer to, you know, rather than overspending or splurging on someone who they don't really need, which they have uncharacteristically done in, in years past, uh, think about guys like James Johnson and, and even Olenek. Um, instead of doing that, I, I think they run it back next year and you know, they're still going to be in great position to add someone, whether it's Giannis or, or another star in 2021 to what should basically be the same core. You know, Jimmy Butler's a little older at that point, but I think the theoretical star that you add, uh, you know, ends up kind of taking the mantle from him at that point. So, I mean, Miami, uh, we, we knew they were set up well for the future, but I, I think after the bubble is set up even better than anyone could have imagined. Uh, and you mentioned with the Lakers, not a whole lot they can do next year specifically. Uh, this this is kind of their team. Um, you know, when you're paying so much to LeBron, you're, you're paying so much to presumably Anthony Davis once he resigns. Uh, the, the way that their contracts work out, there's just not a lot of flexibility. They're still paying Luol Deng $5 million next year and the year after for some reason. I completely forgot that that was a thing. Um, but if they're going to improve, it's going to be on the margins. You know, it's going to be, you know, do they, are they able to get trim that salary enough where they can get the mid-level exception and add someone, you know, at about eight or $9 million. Like that would be huge, you know, because you're, you're probably going to get someone who is maybe willing to take a little bit of a discount at that price. Um, but, you know, I, I put together a little list of like kind of bottom of the barrel guys who you could either sign at a slight discount or just pay the veterans minimum. I mean, they're, they're going to be looking at like Jeff T, Brandon Knight, uh, Mo Harkless, uh, you know, they could be a Jay Crowder destination, Bryn Forbes, uh, Alec Burks, Shabazz Napier, Etwan Moore. Like that's kind of what you're looking at. It, unless you can swing a trade involving Danny Green, you know, who makes 15 mil next year or KCP who will likely opt into his eight and a half million. It, you know, I, I don't think anyone's enamored with either of those guys. They obviously don't have picks anymore to trade. I think the best case scenario for the Lakers is Kyle Kuzma gets enormously hot during the finals averages like 25 a game in the finals and then you're able to capitalize on that and trade him but that seems extremely unlikely it would be poetic if Shabazz Napier ended up on this Lakers team right, right. after LeBron endorsed him and then left Miami <laughs> and it's it also would. surprising it, 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 that he played well he played well this year it also Jeff Teague just feels like it, it feels like he should have played with LeBron at some point in his career doesn't it like yeah, Jeff Teague seems like the LeBron point guard guy who is kind just kind of out there Mario Chalmers yeah <laughs> exactly yeah uh, I mean I, I even put Jabari Parker on the list I think this kind of seems like maybe the right time for LeBron to make him his like new pet project rehabbing yeah. Jabari Parker that would be be- I would I would love that I wouldn't be surprised if they bring Boogie back for another tour next year why not <laughs> why not he'll t- I'm sure he'll take the money right. and I'm sure they'll they'll take the chance that he gets healthy right I mean, Lonzo recently switched back over to clutch. Oh God! There, the possibilities are endless. Never. Um, but it's <laughs> it's yeah. Well, I I think I don't think that's happening anytime soon. But um, yeah. I mean, like I said, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But it's it's kind of tempting because it's been so long since we've seen a lot of these teams. Like next year, I mean, fantasy basketball is one thing, but I, I think just a, a, as a fan, like hopefully we get games in arenas and a normal schedule and all that. Uh, because I, I think that the 2020-21 season is is setting up to be, you know, even even better from a pure basketball perspective than this one was. And and even though there's been a lot of craziness, it's it's still been a great season. All right, man, we got to cut this one off uh, for length purposes. But you and I will be back on Thursday. We'll wrap up game one uh, of the NBA finals. Uh, make sure to check out all of our content on rotowire.com slash basketball. We'll be back next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.